Welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and the producer of this podcast, Sarah Tori. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the sixth season of Exploring Axon. We will kickstart this season by talking about attribute-based access control. In the next two episodes, you will be listening to a conversation I had with Dominic Heutelbeck on attribute-based access control. Dominic is a computer science professor who is leading the FTK Research Institute in Germany. In the first portion of our conversation, Dominic explained what access control is and the importance of it. He also explained what attribute-based access control is and why would one want to use this. He talked about policies, differences between traditional ABAC and existing standards, such as ZACML and much more. In the second portion of our talk, Dominic will explain how ABAC can be used to secure Axon-based applications. I hope you enjoy this talk and let's have a listen. Hi, Dominic. How are you today? Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm doing very nice and I'm looking forward uh, to our conversation. Same. I had the pleasure of meeting you in person actually last month, um, which was wonderful. Usually um, I don't get to see my guests in person for um, for a while or if ever. Um, so it was a really great opportunity to get to meet you and uh, listen to your presentation that you did for us at our uh, conference in Amsterdam. Um, and after the conference, you and I had a brief conversation about, hey, let's do this in a podcast. It would be really great to have this topic um, that is a, a complex topic. It, there's a lot going on, but uh, we said, why not? Let's let's do it in the audio format and, uh, and see how it goes. But before we get into the uh, great topic of uh, attribute-based access control, let's uh, talk a little bit about you. Where are you located and uh, what do you do? Can you tell me a little bit about your background? Thank you very much for the introduction. I also really enjoyed, meet, enjoyed meeting a lot of like-minded people at the conference. So, yeah, my name is Dominic Hartelbeck. I'm a computer science professor from Germany. I'm running a small uh, research institute, which is associated with the University of Hagen, which is the largest distance education university in Germany. Um, but my main occupation is uh, running the institute, doing research and development projects, doing technology transfer, and uh, also doing professional accent consultation on the side. Awesome. Fantastic. So I'll, I'll get to um, why Axon here in, in a bit, but... Um... As uh, Allard mentioned also at our conference, a lot of times when um, you hear research professors especially or um, folks who are spending a lot of time doing research, um, many times we have this sort of uh, presumption that everything's going to be extremely abstract and not really um, practical. But in this talk that you mentioned and the examples that you talked about, which uh, which we'll get into here in a few minutes, uh, there is a lot of pra practicality to it. There is a lot of uh, uh, practical usage that happens with this research and uh, with what you've done with the Institute, which uh, I'm really excited to be talking about and uh, to hearing some of the examples as we go on and, and see why this is not just abstract and why there's a lot of practicality to it as well. Um, 
So can you tell us a little bit about what is access control? Why should we care? Okay. I think access control is something that's pretty much mandatory in any serious software development right now because we have to be compliant with a lot of requirements that may come from um, laws or from contracts mm -hmm. uh, or with uh, regards to standardization. So, for example, you have to be compliant with GDPR. Uh, when working in an engineering environment, you're not necessarily dealing with uh, sensitive information of the personal nature, but you often have sensitive nature with regards to uh, your intellectual property you want to protect when you're working in a complex cross-organizational uh, setting where you have to collaborate on uh, problems uh, mediated by some software and of course if you're then moving to domains like uh, e-health then you have a lot of personal information that is extremely sensitive and has to be taken care of. Right. So it's on the one hand really complying with these kinds of access to data, mm -hmm. like access control, but this goes a little bit further than just, I want to read something. It's also what are you allowed to do with it in general? What kind right. of modification and what kind of side effects um, do you have to trigger? And access control is basically just um, a step of, is this person or system allowed to do this action with this kind of resource and under which kind of conditions? So that would be a very local way of expressing it, which is also uh, formalized in many models. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you for, for that really great explanation. So we're dealing with um, a lot of um, what is authorized basically to do. And can we talk a little bit about authorization and what that is um, in, in this domain, basically? So first, you have to be careful to uh, differentiate authorization from authentication, because right. authorization always happens after authentication. So first, you have to find out uh, what's the system or uh, who's the user that's interacting with the system that right. would be then um, the authentication so then in some kind of session usually you would have an identity assigned to the a party to the entity that's interacting here in access control we usually call this uh, entity the so-called subject mm -hmm. and um then after authenticating the subject, you have some code paths where your requirements really state, yeah, here you have to be careful who is doing this, who is actually allowed to do this. And when this happens, uh, you may want to enforce some additional requirements like lock the access for later auditing. Mm -hmm. So in this code path, um, that has to be identified in the development process. And there you have to establish uh, the access control mechanism, which takes some kind of information from the system context and the identity of the subject, and then makes a decision if you're allowed to proceed or if you get an error back that you are not permitted to do so. Gotcha. 
And so with all of this, it sounds already pretty complex and uh, very detailed in terms of what you can and cannot do and can check and so on. Let's talk about um, attribute-based. So what is attribute-based access control then? And why are we talking about attributes here in this sense? Yeah, we have a relatively long uh, history of different access control models going back to mandatory access control, role-based access models, and so on. And uh, in the last, let's say, almost uh, 20 years now, there has been the notion of attribute-based access control, which mm -hmm. is a more general model that usually is said to be a superset of all the other established models. Um, and what it means is to say, okay, we have the subject. Like I said, we have the subject that is trying to perform some action with some resource in a certain environment. So, but let's stick to subject action resource. And usually you would formulate an authorization question in the form, does this subject uh, have the permission to execute this action on that resource? And then you have to somehow define rules that determine uh, what the outcome of this decision would be. So you have the so-called policy enforcement point. This is the code path we have been talking about before in your application where this decision has to be made. That formulates this authorization question to a different uh, service. So it's delegated to dedicated service, which would be usually the policy decision point, which then takes a look at this question. And this question is formulated in a way that there are attributes attached to the different parts of the question. So the subject has an attribute like username. Is the uh, account currently locked or not? Um, if you have a subject that's using uh, JSON web tokens, for example, you may have uh, claims with scopes included in the subject data. Then you have the action. Let's say uh, in terms of action, that would be a command that has to be executed. You would have the command name and command parameters. Uh, and you would have a resource that could be an aggregate in action terms, for example, that would have an aggregate type and an aggregate ID and maybe some uh, state of the aggregate. And then based on these properties of these three entities, subject, action, resource, there are some rules that are evaluated and a decision is made. That's sounding a little bit abstract. Usually there is um, some kind of dedicated language which uh, you would use to express these rules. And there's a rule engine behind the PDP that uh, then uses these rules to uh, make the decision. And there are some additional features like the rules may refer to outside uh, attributes as well. So in addition to the attributes contained in the authorization question, you may ask external sources for additional attributes you need uh, at runtime to make the decision. Like for example, uh, what's the current time? <laughs> gotcha. 
Yeah, exactly. And these external sources is um, what you were referring to as environmental conditions, or are they something different? Not necessarily. So there are mm -hmm. environmental conditions like the current time, um, or yeah, what kind of system deployment do we have? What were the context in which the execution happens? But uh, these external sources may also be related to the subject, for example. Uh, in our access models, we, for example, can uh, use location data. You could uh, have a location tracker uh, with GPS information and uh, perform something like geofencing, where you only may access a certain entity if you're in a polygon on a map, which would reside then in a, a geoinformation system. And this geofence could be uh, assigned to the resource. So you would load the geofence of the resource from a geoinformation system and have a current location as an attribute to the subject. So this can be uh, arbitrary depending on the uh, domain and they can be d dynamic. So then um, basically an attribute-based access uh, control mechanism, there are two things, as you mentioned, that are important, which are the uh, policy decision point and policy enforcement points, um, which you uh, which you mentioned um, right now and explained about uh, really greatly. So you did talk about role based approaches as well. So why would we use the um, attribute based access control versus this kind of role based approaches? There are several uh, points. Of course, if your domain is fine with just a role model, which usually means that you have, in our terminology, an attribute of a role assigned to a subject, then uh, these roles have some permissions assigned to them in the system, and that works, and you do not need anything more, and these policies usually don't change a lot, and you only have a small system, then this, of course, works fine. And uh, it's easy to verify and very performant to evaluate these rules. So these kinds of systems, however, quickly uh, get uh, to the limit if you're trying to express more complex um, access control semantics, like I mentioned, for example, with the uh, geofencing, with time-based things. And suddenly you end up with a hybrid approach where you have roles assigned to the users and at the same time in your domain code you still have to put some uh, logic dealing with these site constraints and you're mixing up these conditions in different parts of your system so it's compartmentalization uh, separation of concerns thing at the same time if uh, the entirety of the systems you have in your organization is growing you may end up in a situation that's called a role explosion. So mm. um, because... That sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is that? So <laughs> it means that in some cases, you end up with more roles than users in your LDAP directory. So just gotcha. because you, you need to assign all kinds of permutations of uh, permissions to different roles of different systems... And this is not really um, easily manageable. So you may mm -hmm. have 50 roles for 20 users. 
who uh, express gotcha. that. And this is really um, the way you model this is far away from how your stakeholders would talk and speak to each other in expressing right. the requirements. It's a very technical, I think pretty hacky way of uh, solving the problem. Also, yeah. if you look, for example, at a Spring Boot application, you have these annotations that uh, express, yeah, has uh, permission when the user has this or that role, and this is mm -hmm. in the code base, hard-coded, and if you're trying to change the access control rules in this kind of uh, mechanism implementation, you have to completely go back to the development cycle and your uh, deployment and testing and staging phases uh, to apply a simple change to an access policy when onboarding, for example, a new partner. Gotcha. So a question might be a silly question, but um, anyhow, a question. Um, would then what you mentioned as subject is um, synonymous to a role or can one subject have various roles or am I completely getting this wrong? Usually I do not like to talk a lot about roles because the the terminology role has this very specific meaning with role-based access control. Gotcha. But of course, you're right that usually colloquially the stakeholders will talk about roles in the domain. And if we're talking about that, mm. yes. that's just an attribute that the subject has. So gotcha. for example, if we're talking about a medical uh, scenario, um, we would have um, a member of the IT team we may have a nurse and we may have a doctor, which are positions or roles in the domain mm -hmm. language. Yes. But not necessarily roles in the sense of role-based access control. But still, you can express everything you could do in uh, role-based access control with ABEC as well. <laughs> gotcha. Talk about ubiquitous language <laughs> confusion here. Yes. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly what that is. <laughs> That's why, yeah, it's it's important. Now, so we, we did talk about this. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, pros of using attribute-based access control. So you uh, had mentioned in your talk um, about it being expressive, dynamic, and organizational. Uh, can you kind of walk me through um, each of those and tell me a little bit about why um, there are some of the pros? Yeah, let's start with the um, part about expressiveness. Like we have seen this uh, role explosion thing with RBAC, um, you can use attribute-based access control and the policy languages that are used there to express the requirements of the domain regarding access control as close as possible to the domain language without really misusing other access control models. And this kind of RBAC role explosion would be a kind of misuse of uh, that access control model from my point of view. Right. Um, also, if you have a legacy system integrated that is based on RBAC, you can still use that. But you can also do things like mandatory access control, access control lists. You can do uh, fun stuff like uh, Biba or Bell Lapadula uh, models which would be um, access control models that are uh, from more the government agency side of, of things like um, yeah. top secret uh, access control with uh, clearance levels and so on. And you can that 
inter integrate with um, your specific domain needs. For example, if you're in an engineering domain, you have an external advisor that has to advise you on, for example, the optimization of some mechanical design in your CAD system. They may see some parameters, but they may not see the 3D CAD model because mm -hmm. that's uh, encumbered by some um, intellectual property constraints that your, uh, your customer does not want to see leaked to some external advisor. And also there are these, um, these kinds of things that we can do, especially in our um, variant of attribute-based access control, which is attribute stream-based access control, where you can do continuous monitoring of access rights. So you can really monitor if the conditions change at runtime and uh, quickly react and uh, push new information as uh, they become available because the preconditions to access control changed or take them away as uh, the conditions uh, go away for access. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, makes sense. And how about it being dynamic? In the sense of uh, dynamic, I would say it's really um, if you're using, it, it depends a little bit on how you deploy it and how you exactly structure your systems. Dynamic uh, can have two dimensions. On the one hand, the rules may change anytime. So if you say your policy changes under which condition, uh, somebody may access something that is easily expressible uh, by editing and changing the policies, which use their language and are put in a dedicated repository where they are uh, continuously monitored. And at the same time, you have the decisions that can change in real time, which is what what's the last thing I mentioned is, let's take, for example, this uh, geofencing location tracking thing. You move out of the region on the map where you are allowed to access uh, a document, uh, then the thing vanishes from your UI. A good example for that are, for example, national libraries where you only get access to documents on the uh, on the in the rooms of the library, right? Mm -hmm. It kind of uh, reminds me of those like little cartoons where it self destroys at the end. <laughs> it's not there. And yeah. one of the yeah, exactly. And one of the examples that you had uh, brought up in your talk was about having, uh, for instance. If uh, you're in a, in a medical um, application, for instance, and you're not supposed to have access to something after a certain point of time, and that button on the UI needs to either gray out or just not appear to somebody who doesn't have access to it, and that you can um, put a piece of basically um, either a timeout or um, a, a functionality where it makes it uh, impossible for a certain user to access that after a certain period of time, which was a really great example that I have seen in real life. So that was really nice to, to have that. And one of the things that also you mentioned about uh, the pros of uh, using the attribute-based access control is uh, the organizational part of it, uh, which kind of goes back to the domain part and uh, business side of things. Can you tell me a little bit about that as well? Yes, for sure. Uh, the organizational part is really to have... Um a look at your development process and how your teams are structured. Mm -hmm. So for example, you have a team that's primarily uh, assigned to really developing and coding 
in the case of X, for example, some uh, domain in uh, Java on the JVM. And you have another team that has a different subdomain that's using an approach developing a subsystem with a small CRUD application with uh, Python and Django, for example. Mm -hmm. And they have cross-cutting concerns with regards to uh, the underlying domain model. There's some, some shared vocabulary and there are some sh shared concerns with regards to access control. And this right. may relate to some business analysts that take, uh, for example, in the medical um, domain, if you're dealing with a lot of uh, bio data there, you have different customers that have very specific requirements how they consume and configure the output and who may access what from their customers. And those uh, people can then write down these requirements in policies and they do not have to go back to the developers who are writing the code and change the code and have the complete deployment cycle there triggered. They can do it separately and change this behavior at runtime. Right. So this is something dynamic. Also, I wanted to go back to one point of expressiveness because right. these kinds of requirements that these people have sometimes say, yes, that subject has permission, but, and there's always the but. And this is something you can uh, usually express in these kind of policy languages is there are additional constraints that have to be fulfilled upon access. So for example, yes, because it's an emergency, the doctor may access the patient's data, even though it's not the attending doctor, but please log it and trigger later uh, an audit process. Mm -hmm. So gotcha. trigger some side effects. Yeah, makes sense. I love how in uh, the business side of things, if you would, there's always a, a, a sentence that there has that little but in, in the middle of it. So you can do this but for this thing, which basically means on the on the engineering side of things, it means a whole new application, a whole new feature. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's really funny when you, it's, it's just this little little tiny detail here but it requires a lot more complexity on the on the uh, engineering side of things which is yeah great so you briefly mentioned policies a little bit ago uh can you tell me what are policies and what are they bringing into this whole um mix yes policies are a way of um expressing the requirements so usually when you are uh, going about the requirements engineering of your domain, um, you would start with uh, capturing these requirements uh, in natural language, writing them down. So you would, right. and these would already be policies. So mm -hmm. usually we call these natural language policies. Um, and these are with the current technologies that we use, not directly interpretable. There are some research projects that deal with uh, legal text that try to translate that to executable and directly enforceable policies, but that's not where we are at with these practical systems right now. We are at the point where these natural language policy requirements then have to be translated into something that the machine can interpret and uh, base decisions on. And there are, yeah. I would say, three languages uh, right now 
that you can uh, readily use. The one would be uh, Zagmel XACML, which is a long-standing long uh, standard for attribute-based access control, um, where you would use uh, XML to uh, write these languages. Then there's um, Alpha, which is a stripped-down more stripped-down version of uh, Zagmel with a little user-friendlier uh, syntax. And then there mm -hmm. is uh, what we've been developing, which is uh, SAPL, the Streaming Attribute Policy Language. So, and in essence, these are all just documents you've write, just uh, like you would write your program code. Mm -hmm. And then you deploy them to this policy decision point and say, please activate this policy. And uh, then whenever an authorization question comes in, um, these are evaluated and used for checking for the permissions of the subject. I hope you enjoyed this portion of my conversation with Dominic. Please join me next time as he will discuss the APAC in Axon-based applications in more detail. Until then, have a great time and happy coding. Mm -hmm.